Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is my friend, John Humphrey. John, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Henry. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so let's we'll chat about today on this episode is how can you develop long-term connections that help you win more opportunities and grow your small business? John has developed a methodology and he's recently published a book that we're going to chat about. And in that book, the topic is about how do you connect? How do you connect for life and network your personal brand, as he will explain, to deliver true value and to help you grow your business? To receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode, or to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, you can either text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or visit thehowofbusiness.com. So let me tell you more about John. John Humphrey is a serial entrepreneur, a sales expert and coach, a technology thought leader, and the founder and chief connector of Connect for Life. Connect for Life is focused on accelerating the connection between individuals, companies, and their networks to unlock exceptional value. John is the author, as I mentioned, of his recently released book, which I've had the pleasure of reading, and it's entitled Connect for Life, Network Your Personal Brand and Win. In a world filled with social media tools, John believes that we are the most networked and least connected individuals in a generation. So we'll chat about the difference there. Success in life is directly related to the depth and breadth of our relationships and our desire to help others. If social media tells us anything, it's that connecting creates social capital and unlocks enormous value for individuals, personal brands, and the companies where they work, or in many of our listeners' cases, in your businesses. Connect for Life is part advice, part methodology, and part technology. We're going to touch on some of those components here in this conversation today. Together, these tools can transform your career and your business. And, and that what we are going to chat about in this episode, as well as John's journey, I hope will be inspirational as far as give us some great takeaways on how to do this better, this topic of networking, and how to get value from that. John lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so once again, John Humphrey, welcome to the show. That's great to be here, Henry. I've been uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, well, you, so John and I have been friends, uh, I guess I should have wrote, wrote down the year. When did we first meet? I think it was 1995, 96, something like wow. that. Wow. So we met, I, I think I was already at Lawson Software and then you joined, right? That is correct. Yeah. yeah. So we had the opportunity to work there together, and then we we spent time together at Ariba as well. After that, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was, was a lot of crazy fun. days of the <laughs> internet. <laughs> crazy days indeed. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun. And so John and I became not just coworkers, obviously, but friends. I respected his uh, his approach and his intellect. You know, one of the things I always admired about you is how how much you were a student of the the art and the science of selling. You were just very introspective and always learning from what had gone well and what had not gone so well. And I always respected that about you. Thank you for that. Yeah. 
All right. So let's let's get into it. I, I, first of all, what, as we always do, I'm always interested in the journey, how you got to where you are today. So we we'll just kind of briefly talk about that. But you you started a career after school after you graduated from SMU in Dallas with uh, Accenture. They weren't called Accenture back then uh, in consultant, traditional consulting uh, management consultant, rather. Is that right? Yeah, actually, it started before then. I my undergrad was in uh, economics and finance, and I actually started my career as a credit analyst for a bank. And then, of course, we went through the real estate debacle of the uh, late '80s, and I went back and got my master's degree in MIS and marketing, and uh, that led to me going to work for a company that was actually acquired by Accenture, then oh, Anderson okay. Consulting. I see. So back then, do you recall having aspirations of being your own boss? Well, you know, I, people ask me that question. I always had a dollar in my pocket going back to when I was 13. You know, I mowed lawns. My mother drove me around town. I painted houses. You know, probably don't realize it at the time, but I got business because people ask people who painted your fence and who painted your house and who mows your grass and, uh, you know, as I reflect, my, my first real job was out of college where actually they took money out of my paycheck for all kinds of things. <laughs> that had been my first experience with that. That's always a shocker. My daughter just went through that because she just graduated from college last year. And, and that's that reality. I always love that because right? I always see that, that reality check when they get that first paycheck, even though you've warned them, it, it hits them hard when you first see that. Yeah, because they do the math and then they look at the net and they go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like, welcome to America. <laughs> Too funny. So how long were you with Accenture then? Well, I was there about until um, about 94, or 95. So give or take four or five years. Um, I had met my future partner for the company I started in 2003, Pari Beta uh, Solutions. And I, I think you asked me how did you end up in sales? Well, mm -hmm. uh, we decided to divide. He was going to be the finance and the technology guru. And I was going to be, you know, sales and marketing. And I knew enough having been an Accenture that I didn't know a thing about, as they say, carrying a bag. And so I quit to go learn. And uh, that's where I met you. So you, you had already with your partner, we'll get to a moment, uh, starting Paravita, um, is it Paravita or Paravita? I could never go. Paravita. Paravita. Sorry about Think that. Golf. <laughs> Got it. You had already, were already uh, developing that idea, but felt like you needed to go get sales experience. Yeah, we had this, you know, we started going to lunch and talking about what we would do in consulting that would be different than an Accenture mm, okay. and focus on growing talent, really. And I didn't know anything about sales. So, I mean, like when, when you met me, I had think I had had one previous sales job for a year. I was green. You know, you, you, you say, why was I a student of it? Because I was smart enough to know that when a deal got done at Accenture, it was being done in a carpeted office somewhere down the hall. And it didn't matter whether I was on the team or I wrote the deck, uh, the deal was happening somewhere else. And it was those things that happened behind closed doors or maybe at a restaurant or whatever the case might have been. It was those relationships that you had to develop with the decision makers that mattered most. And you had to learn how to, how to do that well, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a combination for me between relationship and process. Mm. Like I went, you know, you don't remember this, but I went almost a year at Lawson without 
closing a deal. I do remember that now that you mentioned it, because yeah. I remember the stress that you were under because of that. I, yeah. I just had a kid, my first, my first child. I would go to my superiors, great guys, Eddie Marshall, Michael Fox, Dennis White. What am I doing wrong? Well, you're coming in second. <laughs> we don't pay you for that, <laughs> <laughs> but keep doing what you're doing. You'll figure it out. And um, eventually I did. Thank goodness that you did have, I mean, I must say that, that was a nurturing environment in that regard. It wasn't as cutthroat as it could have been at other organizations at that time. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Oracle would have been much more cutthroat. Yes. I mean, I think those guys were, you know, particularly Michael, he had an uncanny sense for talent. He hired some of the best salespeople I've ever worked with, you know, Mark Brady, Matt Olson, Sam Miller, um, you know, it was a great team. And then when, when you guys went off to Ariba, you know, Ariba was a perfect private equity science experiment. They hired the top people from all of the top ERP vendors in the country. So it was just a, I got there, I would top of the heap at Lawson and felt like I was at the <laughs> bottom of the heap at Ariba. So I, I think I took my game to an entirely new level there. So yeah, that was a real learning. Yeah, it was for me, one of the key things for being at Ariba was I had never worked around so many really talented and smart people. But going back to, you know, your, I'm just curious, the struggle that you had initially, was there one thing that you think back uh, that you remember that started to change things for you as far as winning some deals? Yeah, I remember it. I remember it distinctly. I finally, after, you know, months, I finally went to Dennis White, <clears throat> who was a regional manager. And um, I asked him if we could go out to, to lunch. We went to a local Mexican restaurant and I just said, look, what am I doing wrong? And he sort of asked me a lot of open-ended questions. And he said, you're trying to compete against the best software companies in the world at tall, shiny buildings in Dallas. And that audience doesn't care about the value proposition that we have at Lawson. You've got to go find companies that care about total cost of ownership being lower and a two to one ratio on software to services rather than, you know, five to one that a PeopleSoft would have. And so I got out of the city and I went into a rural Tola, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, <laughs> Arkansas, affectionately called the land of no teeth <laughs> and um, started winning. I started selling uh, to distributors in Oxford, Mississippi and uh, East Texas. And, uh, and then I got enough confidence and I figured out my process. And so if I couldn't pursue the deal according to the process that I had defined, I would walk away from it. It's such a brilliant uh, takeaway because it applies to business of all type, uh, not just in sales, but in focusing who it is that we're in alignment with as a target market that our value proposition will resonate with. And that's such a, such a key takeaway that you identified there. So you either had to go get something else to sell, if that's still where you wanted to sell, or you had to figure out who it is that was the right target audience for what we had to offer at that point in time. That's right. And I hadn't had enough success to go anywhere else. So I sort of welded the door shut behind me. I think that's a, a key learning to get to the next level. You know, you have to make retreat 
almost impossible. I you love know, you that. hear all the myth- yeah. mythological stories about Cortez reaching the new world and whether he burned his ships or metaphorically burned his ships, I don't know. But I think that image is an image that all of the entrepreneurs that I went through, that I know went through, uh, they talk about the struggle and they talk about how, how the pain sort of perfected them in some you know, crazy way. Yeah. But I, you know, I saw it. I think a lot of other people would have quit and then blamed, you know, everybody else as, as well as the, the software that we had or didn't have. Um, what, what do you think makes a great salesperson? You know, today it's different than it was back then. So I would say that you have to have knowledge and insight. I think people are looking not for the, the slick, uh, buying dinner, going to cocktails person, but the person that can actually bring them insights about their business. I think you have to be a good listener. I'm a chatty guy and I had to learn to listen. Um, in fact, you may not remember, there was a, there was a instance we were chasing a deal and you and Cynthia Rial were <laughs> on the, yeah, we, and we went to a, you know, a discovery meeting and I was just, blathering all over the place. And we did a debrief, which most people don't have the courage to do. Right. That's brutal. And you guys just laid into me. I mean, you ate my lunch and then you walked out of the room and I sat there stunned. I'm like, okay, these guys are clearly successful. You know, cause the week I joined Lawson, you guys at all were off in Hawaii for a club trip. So it was clear that you guys knew what you were doing. So I think being a really good listener and learning how to ask good questions. Um, and then the last thing I would say would be, you've got to solve problems for people. I mean, I think that's the one demystification. It's like, if you're a problem solver, then sales is easy because you go look for problems to solve. It's not selling. Yeah. Love that perspective. And thanks for sharing that story. That's great stuff. All right. So what then, so you had been, um, well, let me come back to this point. Is I'm assuming around this time is when you start developing this understanding of the power of connecting with people. Because I know that this idea, the concepts of Connect for Life, you've been talking about since those days. But tell me about, is this where some of this starts to come together as to how powerful that is? Yeah, it really did. Uh, I think it was after you guys left, uh, Matt Olson, who is still a dear friend, but he was a really good sales guy and just a real thinker. Uh, later, I hired him at Pariveda, and now he's running, I don't know, 22 or 23 sports clips. So he's been a very successful guy. And we were sitting around on a Friday afternoon, and we were thinking, what, what do we got to do to stop this amplification between I have a pipeline, I don't have a pipeline, I have a pipeline, I don't have a pipeline. And so we created this contest called the Big Dog Contest, and, and we would keep track of points and you know, at the end of a month, whoever had the most points uh, won and you got a t-shirt from the big dog store. <laughs> uh, you know, you paid for golf, you know, if you were the loser or a lunch and that actually, that was the first time that was really clicked for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, just by doing all this activity, that's not, not in the funnel. Right. Mm-hmm. This was just being out in the community and connecting with people that we knew and, going to events and, you know, writing, you know, intelligent sounding content before content was even important. 
and it worked. It's interesting. And so then you, did you feel at some point, okay, now I need to go co-found this company, do my own thing with my partner. Is that, or was there something that happened that led you to finally launching Paraveda? Well, it, it, interesting story. I, uh, my partner had um, sold a little company that we'd started to another consultancy, a company called Tactica Technology Group. And they wanted me to come there and start an Oracle pr practice. And unfortunately, I was doing so well that I didn't want to take a pay cut <laughs> to become a partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I finally realized that, you know, I'd gotten into sales late in life. You know, I was in my, I don't know, mid to late thirties. I thought, you know, I don't want to be Willie Loman. I can do consulting forever as long as I have a brain. And so I went over to uh, Tactica to build an Oracle implementation practice. We, you know, we were very successful at doing that. I think we sold the single largest transaction ever in the history of that company. And then like a year later or two years later, they sold that company to Hitachi Consulting. Hmm. And that became the genesis of, okay, we got to get out of here. We were a you know, $100 million division of a $6 billion Japanese firm, a really great company, but it wasn't the small, nimble type of business that we had been dreaming about for, you know, gosh, going back to 95. And so then you make, make the transition essentially, did you have to take a pay cut to make this happen? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> oh, I quit my job in June of 2003. And I don't think I took a paycheck until January of 2004. Yeah. This is so such I, a big challenge for people in situations like yourself. Well, is that transition because we want to do that thing, but we're comfortable and, and sometimes need that money that we're making now. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, use your current employer as your, as your, uh, private equity firm, you know, companies, if you've done a good job for most firms, you're going to get 30 to 90 days of severance. If you've been a performer, they, they want to keep up, you know, relationship with you. And so, you know, for 90 days after that, I, I did have a paycheck and then I had saved some money during that. You know, the greatest thing about being in a sales position is you're living on a very, very low base. And then when you make a large commission, you just, you just don't spend it. And so I had some money. And uh, I think by the time January of 2004, Bruce joined me in October we incorporated the business. Um, we had clients and revenue by January, February. Yeah. Okay. Well, fast forward on this. Well, another time I'll have you back on and talk about this experience, but you were part of that for how many years? Almost a decade. Okay. Long time. I sold, I sold my interest in 2012. And we won't get into all the details as to why you left there, but I want to ask you this question. What, what did you take away from that experience that you bring forward to your future partnerships, future endeavors from a business perspective? Is there something that stands out that you take away from that experience? Yeah, I would say knowledge and talent are critical in the professional services business. And what we did is I took these ideas that I had from back at Lawson and I, 
implemented them to where we did not have any commission salespeople at Pariveda. It was complete seller doer model. We taught everybody in the company coming out of college, this class we called networking for life. And it was essentially, it was the genesis of the book connect for life. So that's where you began to develop this further. Now, let me ask you this. And I know it can be a delicate question as it relates to partnerships. How did it influence you partnering with other people in the future? I know you've done it again, at least in one case, but I think in that subsequent case, you were the majority owner. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, you know? I mean, it, there's probably a reason why the divorce rate is 50% in marriages in the United States, and it's probably the same in partnerships. I think people uh, get together and they have an idea about what they're going to do. And as they get farther along that journey, sometimes those ideas diverge. And it's important to think about that separation at the beginning when everything's all ducks and bunnies, because a well-crafted uh, exit for either partner is very helpful. Because in a private company, a, a public fight destroys the firm. So, you know, whether you go it alone, I've just learned over time that I have a very strong opinion about things. I have a way that I think things ought to be done. And not a lot of people can share the stage with that kind of personality. Yeah. I don't think about it that way, but I've run into that personally. Fair enough. Thanks for sharing that. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to invite you to my next in-person live workshop focused on getting your business found online. My next online marketing workshop will be on August 19th in Plantation, Florida. During this live in-person workshop, we will work together to develop your online marketing plan to help you get your business found online. But it's more than just planning and bring your laptops because this is a working session where we will actually get stuff done to improve your online presence. From clearly identifying your target avatar to creating or updating your Google My Business page, you will walk away from this workshop knowing you have improved your online marketing so you can grow your business. For more information and to register, visit thehowabusiness.com. And don't forget to use promo code HOB20 to receive a 20% discount. I will personally be teaching this workshop in person. So if you're in the South Florida area, I invite you to join me. There are still some spots left and we do have limited capacity. I'm conducting this workshop at Office Evolution in Plantation, Florida, which is near downtown Fort Lauderdale on August 19th. Office Evolution is a shared workspace business center that I'm a minority owner of, and we'll be using one of the conference rooms at that location. Again, for more information, and to register, visit thehowabusiness.com. And don't forget to use the promo code HOB20 to receive a 20% discount. I look forward to meeting you at this workshop. All right, before we do the deeper dive here, I'm always curious, I always ask this question, what, as a business owner now, what does it do for you? What is, what is the benefit for you of being your own boss? You know, the, the things you always hear, independence, autonomy, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and fire myself. But there's this tension between performance and reward. 
that's always there that performers love. And so I think that it, it does for me is it keeps me on the edge. It keeps me learning. Um, I'm, I'm always learning new things. And I, and I think that's what being on my own, I've got to learn a whole new set of digital marketing that we'll probably talk about it at some point because the landscape has changed in the, in the technology world with Google and AdWords and all those things. Yeah. So it keeps you sharp. We have, we have no choice. It's pretty hard to get complacent when you have your own business to run. Yeah. And when you take time off, you know that in 90 or 120 days, that lull is going to surface. You know, it's just, I've always, it's always taken me 90 days to get something going. And so the corollary is true that if you take some time off, try to keep some plates spinning so that in 90 days, that lull doesn't show up. Yeah. All right. So why did you decide to now focus exclusively on Connect for Life? That's a great question. Well, I'd had the book in draft form for a long time. Yeah, I think you and I have been talking, you've been sharing it with me. I mean, I, I mean, talking to me about it for at least three years that I can yeah, think of. Yeah. And you know, it's tyranny of the urgent. I like, I'm always in motion. So this was a good, you know, this was a good opportunity to get it done. And when I talk to, if you sort of think about the services business, and I don't know if these numbers are accurate, but a friend of mine told me, that, you know, roughly for IT services, there's probably 50,000 IT services companies in the United States. You know, probably 10% of them get to a million in revenue. 1% of them get to 10 million and 0.01% of them get to 50. And they all are challenged with sales, whether they're doing a commercial sales, uh, whether they're hiring commissioned salespeople, if they've done that, then they've got that constant turnover and try to decide when somebody, when to give up on a, on a salesperson and replace them. Or on the other end of the spectrum is the seller-doer model that a lot of high-end strategy firms, um, high-end IT consulting firms use where the partners and the directors are actually responsible for bringing in new business. And so I think there's a huge demand out there and the message seems to be resonating. So, and every, I think I, you had showed me every time you would talk to someone about this, as you were refining the methodology and the concepts, it just, you kept getting positive responses, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a, you know, I stopped working with one firm on March 31st of this year and had two clients by April 15th. Yeah. And so, you know, the thing that I've had to do, which is service I provide for others is to narrow my focus. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but yeah. you know, all these things that you think you can do, you have to have, especially when you're small, you have to have a very narrow message to the market about what you do. And that has to be in the things that you talk about in the website content and in what you do. Yeah. I, I thought I'd have you define what you mean by connecting for life. What does that mean? Yeah. So let's contrast networking and connecting because people know what networking is. I go to, I go to an event, you know, I attend something, I meet in person, somebody new trade cards or we trade contact information. I message somebody in LinkedIn that I don't know that I've heard about. Those are all networking. 
Connecting is really the relationship side of things. It's actually putting the networking on steroids and actually getting to know the person and how you might be able to help them. How are you positioned either in your network or in your profession, your avocation or your vocation? Because I know a lot of people in this part of the country are heavily involved in nonprofits. And so how can you share part of yourself with that other person and, and, and in, a, in a way to help them? You know, uh, if you've read Adam Grant's Give and Take, it's the givers um, are the ones that succeed more than takers. And so I've got a whole chapter in the book about givers versus takers. But so connecting is that sort of soul. Um, if you remember the movie Avatar, right? You know, the, the two avatars, you know, one says to the other one, I see you, I look, I, I understand you, which is way different than going to an event and meeting somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you don't need to do that. It's just, it's, that's what you do with those contacts over time is connect. Absolutely. You know, um, there's a great book out there called uh, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty by Harvey McKay. And in that book, he, you know, obviously the metaphor is poignant, right? You dig a well before you're thirsty, not after. But he talks about refreshing his network every six to 12 months, which means if you have 12 to 1500 people in, let's say your LinkedIn contacts, because from a business networking perspective, that's probably the one most of my uh, compatriots use. I mean, that's a lot of work to go through that and keep up with people and track the follow-ups and go have lunch and have a cup of coffee. Those are the things that create value or what a lot of people today call social capital in your network. That network actually becomes part of the quote network effect and the value of your network increases. So let me ask you about that since you bring that up, the numbers. What can you give me some guidelines as to what's realistic as far as a number of people that I actually connect with and, and nurture those relationships over time? Do you have any rule of thumb on that? Yeah, I'm trying to touch 20 to 30 people in my network a week. So that's and to do that, you got to schedule time to do that. That just, mm -hmm. just doesn't happen, right? So I did an experiment with the last firm I was working at and I challenged some of the management team members to take two hours on a Friday afternoon and use the messaging in LinkedIn to reach out to people that they knew just to say, hi, how you doing? And you know, the response rate that they got was 10%. Now, if you know anything about any kind of direct mail, 10% is off the charts. Now you're not selling anything. Right. Just, Tell me about that, because I get a lot of, you know, I'm on LinkedIn all day long as you are, and I get a lot of these that I immediately read through. You're not really interested, John, in how I'm doing. You just want to next day I get your pitch email or message yeah, rather. I mean, I'm worried that LinkedIn is on the way to ruining LinkedIn. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think the advertising has gotten out of control. I pretty much delete every one of those. And here's, so do I, here's what somebody told me that recently that made a lot of sense. I think COVID exacerbated it because it was the only way to uh, manage or, or make connections with people. And so it just became like a huge focus. And now it's just been inundated with this approach. Yeah. But I will say that I, even with a lot of my really close friends, I still 
I mean, I, I do the messaging sometimes in LinkedIn as opposed yeah. to text or email. I agree. I do too. It's just, but, like but what it does here, but what you're saying is it's, it's more genuine and you're not sending me a message. Say, how are you doing, Henry? And then tomorrow go for the ask. No, I'm not. No. It's, it's, so, so take a step back. This is a life journey. You know, this is not a week or a quarter or a year. This is being a person who is available to others in your network that you have met along the way or have, you know, introduced themselves and you look at their profile and you see 20 to 25 names of people that you know and respect. It's, it's building that brand over time by helping folks, whether it, they're looking for an auto mechanic or they're looking for a job or they're looking for advice on starting a business. Um, all of those things are in play or now, now it's, it's the children of the people in my network. They mm-hmm. graduated from college. They want to go to work for a family office. Who do I know in Dallas? You know, so, so that kind of thing. So facilitating those connecting them with your network is a way of nurturing that connection for life. Exactly. That's what I, mean, I think about this process and you, you know, I call it touch points, right? So all of the places that you touch people in the market, and I break it down into three categories, the connecting, which is the helping, serving, bringing two people together and just getting out of the conversation, the networking event-based activities, writing, publishing, knowledge, capital creation, and then selling, you know, the things that we think about when we're trying to get into a new account. I mean, this is what started it for me because I was terrified to make a cold call. Mm -hmm. In fact, the beginning of the book is that funny story about all the things I did to avoid making that phone call. And so my life's journey began, if I wanted to get into an account, how could I find somebody that could give me a warm introduction into that particular account? I've come to think that that I think that people who hate cold calling, which is most of all us, I think it's a good signal that what you're better at and more comfortable is that relationship sale, that consultative sale. It's almost like, to me, it's a, it's a trademark. Like if I know somebody who loves cold calling, it's a question mark for me as to their approach to sales. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yeah. What's really interesting though. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective, I think. But if you look at it today, cold calling and email marketing are kind of dead. Nobody answers their phone. No. People filters on their email. Yep. And so what's creating leads. And if you look at like some of the data out of like a HubSpot, I mean, it's like 70% of the people engage with the company well before any professional salesperson is involved. Yeah. Right. So they, you know, if you show up for a meeting at a company, they know your LinkedIn, they know who you are. They know who, you know, they know where you've been. They know whether you have, integrity. Forget about what you're selling. I mean, so this notion of developing digital content and intelligent ideas is more important today than it's ever been. Yeah. So that also speaks to then, and you've touched it already, the personal brand component that you talk about. So tell me more about that. How, How... like maybe, maybe the question is, how have you gone about nurturing and developing that personal brand that now helps you with networking? 
So I'll tell you about what I'm doing, and then I'll talk about when I engage with a company, what I suggest that they do. Um, I'm writing a blog every week. I've written a book. I try to do a video about that blog every week. And these are just complete giveaways. I have a whole workshop on Connect for Life that teaches all the fundamentals and all the tips and tricks and some of the things that I'm talking about here today. But because, you know, the COVID sort of accelerated this movement online and, the, and enhanced the value of really good content. And what's funny is you've got marketing departments at companies. You know, my average company is probably anywhere from 2 million to probably 30 million in revenue. So they're relatively small businesses. And so they might have one marketing person. They might be writing content and putting their name on it. Maybe it's about an architecture or a technology or some new whiz bang thing that Salesforce just did. And so what I got to convince them is that that content the name on that content needs to be the CEO, if that CEO is out there making the rain, or a salesperson, if that person is the public face to the company. So it's not just important that the company has intelligent content, but that content has to be tied to the public figure of that company. Right. Certainly a lot easier for so most of us listening, we're business owners, so we are that face. So it makes sense. It's a little harder if I'm a salesman in a group of, you know, 50 salespeople or whatever, and I don't have that opportunity, may not even have the permission to do that to some extent. But as business owners, we definitely can and should be the face of that content, which then builds that personal brand over time, right? Yeah. If you're not doing that today, that's where leads are coming from. Leads, leads are, are coming from good content and people clicking through, you know, if you just look at your show and, and what, you know, what it looked like when you started, what, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, how long right. have you been doing this? Uh, I think it was 24, 2016. So about okay, so, four, yeah. four or five yeah, years. So five years. And, and then all of the, the click throughs and the interest and all of the things that's happening digitally you know, because, you know, we're, we're indexing show notes and we're indexing ideas and we're, and, you know, the how of business is now permeated out there and it's been associated with great content, good speakers and Henry Lopez. So if you're selling, uh, you know, professional services where you're a custom development shop, the people that are out doing that work and trying to find that next prospect, whether that's a seller doer or a commercial salesperson, they need to be tagged with those articles mm -hmm. or they got to write them themselves, which is very hard to do. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. All right. A quick technical question. So, you know, you said you make 20 to 30 contacts a week. Are you using a tool or a platform to help you manage that? Well, I mean, I do a lot of it in LinkedIn and email. Right. That's, so that's, that's, so that's how you deliver it. But do you track that in any kind of a CRM or anything I'm like that? Ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit <laughs> that I'm not. What, so what is your thought there? What, what should you be doing in that regard? Well, I've got a partner, a company called White Rock Technologies that has, a, we've configured a solution for both Salesforce and Pipedrive. Right. Where we take their activity management modules and help people do it in there so you can associate it with accounts and contacts and and then we allow them to set goals like i want to do 20 points of connecting this week or mm -hmm. 15 points of networking this week and so the the best thing to do is to do it inside of a tool 
but you know, it's the cobbler's children have no shoes. I think that's, uh, that's, uh, what I'm, but it's interesting when, when you were, when you were sharing that, I was thinking to the, the, the contest that you set up at Lawson with, I can't remember who it was on, on getting yourself that challenge with the point system. It sounds very much like that. Yeah. That's what we did. We did it in Excel. And, um, so, so there's a, there's a divide there. Let me see if I can make this clear. So the tools that I create are for the individual to get better, not for management to regulate the activity. Yeah. So when you're logically talking to somebody who's put everything, you know, I talked to a woman once and she said, if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. (laughs) That's how they manage their business. And they probably got 50 salespeople and that's the right way to do it. So logic would say, I have to track all this activity in a tool, but the practicality of it is if you're doing 50 points a week, you know, and my points range from one to five points across probably 15 different areas, you know, that's a lot of stuff to be, you don't want people to become, you know, bookkeepers. And it's about setting a a level and then looking at the results a couple of weeks later. And am I hitting what I need to hit? Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, As you think about this, John, as far as moving more towards connecting versus just networking, are there some other common mistakes that you've seen people make business owners, salespeople make that come to mind? Most people do not put this on their calendar. That's the number one mistake they make. So how do you do that? Do you block out a chunk of time to do those 20 to 30 calls a week? Is that what you're talking about? I try to block out the my time. So for me, it's usually a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday morning when the family's sort of not doing anything and I've got my own alone time and I don't need much, an hour. Uh, Friday afternoon is, I think, one of the best times to reach out people. Most to people, most executives are sort of after three o'clock, they're at their desk and their shoes are off and they're relaxed. It's actually the best way to get a hold of them. Hmm. So if you can put you know, five hours a week on your calendar, um, you know, a Monday morning or Friday afternoon. And then, uh, you know, when I was building Pariveda, I had little people. So I had to, you know, we put them to bed and then I would turn on, you know, the late show with Letterman and I would spend, you know, an hour or two just with the noise on just emailing and contacting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the mistake is the, is the, is the scheduling. I think the other right. thing is the, follow-up and then consistency. Okay. No. I mean, the consistency is hard. That's, that's the hard thing. Especially, I think you, you start to, I I think the thing that's most challenging for me is a contact that I've been nurturing, but uh, you know, I kind of, I haven't talked to John in a while and I kind of drops kind of falls through the cracks and I, and I don't have that consistency across the entire, my entire network of people that I want to stay connected with. Yeah, well, you and I have done that, right? We've gone, we've gone year a year without talking. Right, um, right. I think the I have a chapter in a book on forgiveness, and it's a mindset, right? It's like if you don't hit your goals, you got to get up next week and brush yourself off, and forget about what happened last week. You know, we're people that do this for a living are notorious about beating themselves up. <laughs> you know, oh my God, I didn't get it done. How can I, you know? look at myself in the mirror, but you just got to, you just got to say, okay, I got busy last week or I was lazy last week, or really it doesn't matter that you just got to start over. Yeah. 
I love that. Okay. Uh, we don't have time to dive into it, but there is a methodology component that you lay out in the book for how to connect for life, right? So just introduce that at a high level, if you would. Yeah. So I have this point system I call touch points. You know, we've alluded to it. Yep. Um, just to read down some of those items. So under connecting, you know, it might be sending an idea to a friend or a colleague. You might have been in a meeting where somebody was saying they were going on vacation somewhere or going to Disney World. You might find an article and a tidbit, send it on. Making an introduction. I'm always connecting people in my network and then getting out of the way. Doing something or providing expertise for free. You know, I learned early on in my career to give away all the advice you have, because if somebody actually goes to implement it, they'll probably call you and then they'll pay for you to help them. And then doing something that would represent paying it forward. So those are kind of connecting things. And so, you know, in the easiest form, you got your little spreadsheet that says, oh, I did four of those and that's worth two points. So there's eight points. Under networking, I have speaking and publishing. So writing a blog, writing a white paper, speaking at an event, going to a networking event, and then meeting with somebody in person or reaching out to somebody in social media or email. Those are kind of networking things. And it ranges from speaking is five points and reaching out is one. Obviously, if you're out speaking in front of an audience, uh, that's more important than writing a you know 400 word blog or pinging somebody in your network. And then the last part is around selling. So creating a contact with somebody at an account, an initial contact, having a meeting with that person, building out a proposal, any kind of a C-suite or closing meeting, those have varying points to them. So in its most simple format, if you, if you schedule the time to do it, and then you're consistently doing it, uh, all these good things will come back to you. It's almost like the law of reciprocity where you can't outgive your network. Mm -hmm. Great tips. I, lo I love that. And that's one of the things I like about the book is a lot of actionable steps, not, not a lot of theory. I mean, there is a theoretical component to this, a, a mindset component, but I love that you lay out these specific tactics that I can apply to do this well. Let me ask you this, John, if, I, if I'm terrible at this, I, I really haven't done any of this nurturing and connecting for life. Where do you typically recommend someone get started? And let's, let's think about a person who's a business owner and I'm the, the face of that, of that business. Where do you usually recommend they get started? Well, the first thing I would say is, do you have a list of people you know in any kind of format on your phone, in Outlook, in Gmail? That, that's a yes or no. Do you have anything in a LinkedIn or an Instagram or a Facebook? And how are you connecting with those people? So I figure out where, they're, where the lay of the land is. And then we talk about what they're selling. You know, who is the buyer for what you're selling? Is it B2C? Is it B2B? Is it big companies? Is it small companies? Is it services? Is it product? Those all go into the tactic you might use. The majority of my experience and expertise is around helping services companies grow their sales and revenue. Um, so if you were a product company and you were selling hubcaps, I probably couldn't help you. But, you know, I've seen people that blog on hubcaps and rims and tires and wheels, and they become this knowledge uh, source 
you Google them, you find them on YouTube. They talk about, you know, tire temperature and traction. And I mean, just crazy stuff, right? But you've got to become the expert in what you're doing. And then you got to be out there where people can find you. Yeah. I mean, this ties back to also a key takeaway from me here so far in this conversation is that, that you have to, it has to be your personal brand. It has to be you as the owner or whatever your position might be that's behind that content. Of course, some of the other tactical things you talked about, I would obviously be facilitating myself, but that's, that's a key component of it as well. Yeah. That I, if I haven't started to do that, if I've been hiding behind my company logo or brand, this is for small businesses I'm talking about now, I need to get a, a around that and ahead of that and also uh, position myself as an authority and as a personal brand that helps to grow my business. Is that fair? Yeah. I, some of the best advice I got long time ago, I don't, I, I must've read it in a book or saw it on a podcast was to get a personal board of directors, a group of anywhere from five to eight people that know you well personally and can challenge you. You know, I think, you know, why are you wanting to be an entrepreneur and what is it about your product or service that makes you an expert? Like you've really got to be challenged by that. If you've never been out there before, you better understand that for a while until you could build scale, you are the product. Regardless of what you're selling, people will buy from you. And I think we're afraid to ask our friends and contacts for help. But, you know, all things being equal, people would rather buy or work with somebody they know and trust or follow up with somebody that came from a trusted person in their network. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, you, we won't get into it because you have time, but you talk about it in the book and I mentioned it, I alluded to it at the opening, how much social media has helped with this, but has also undermined it. Right. I, and yeah. so that's, that's interesting content there in the book. All right. What have we not talked about as far as Connect for Life and what you're offering your clients today? Give us, give us the summary pitch on that. Well, so really, I do two things. I help with uh, sales strategy for services companies. And in that, I help them define their metrics from a gross margin, how do they price, what's their net income, what's their EBITDA, to their offerings, what are they selling and how are they pricing it, and how can I help them productize it? And then they're digital. Are they, do they have a marketing person? Are they outsourcing a marketing person? What kind of content should be associated with those products? And so those are, I consider those kind of strategic thinking things. And, and then the second thing is execution. So that is um, defining their sales model. Is it going to be a commercial sales model, a seller doer model, or a hybrid? And then managing and coaching those people. So people hire me to be an outsourced you know, sales manager, you know, I manage those guys. I meet with them once a week. We have our, our weekly sales meeting because until you get to a certain level or size, you don't need a full-time person to do that. But as you add more and more sales capacity, uh, you need somebody to help coach the people and implement a process, help you pick a tool, that sort of thing. Wonderful. And we can learn more about it. Uh, what's, what's the website to go to At, for that? Uh, www.connectforlife, F-O-R not the letter, not the number four. So C-O-N-N-E-C-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. And you'll see the blogs, the videos, the offerings, pretty straightforward, not a very deep site, but it has some pretty good stuff in it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can find that link as well if you didn't get a chance to write it down on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, let's talk book, books rather. We've been talking about your book, which again is entitled Connect for Life, Network Your Personal Brand and Win. Uh, I got it on Amazon, a great book, recommend it. We've been talking about that here in this conversation. You also mentioned Dig Your Well Before You Are Thirsty. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Well, you know, I love books. And so when I was thinking about, I get this question a lot. And the three books that I've read recently, one is called uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. That's a great book on why we should embrace uh, the challenges when we get them. Start with Why by Simon Sinek. I think he's just a great writer and a great thinker. And really defining what you want out of your business is critical to getting started. And then the last one that I've just read in the last two weeks is The One Thing by Gary Keller. And the book sort of obsesses on focus on the one thing. I've got a, a note written in front of me. It says, what is the one thing that by doing it, everything becomes easier or not necessary? Hmm. I think that's just a great quote. Great takeaway. I've read all three of those books. Those are great recommendations. We'll have those on the show notes page as well as John's book. John, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we've had about connecting for life? Well, it's probably two things. One is everything great in life comes through relationships with other people and that you can't outgive your network. If you try, it will pay you back exponentially enjoy um, in rewards financially and economically. Um, but mostly it'll be the depth of the relationships with the people that you know. This is something that, you know, early in my career, I was terrible at what I would have termed then networking. And, and I think that one of the reasons, John, and this, this conversation has helped me kind of understand it, why I've gotten better at it. But I think the reason why is related to I thought that the only way you did it was the old style way of, I just met you and I go for the ask, right? So I, it just made me very uncomfortable. That just wasn't who I was. If I would have had a methodology like this or just a mindset of this approach, I think I would have done it much earlier because as you just uh, eloquently expressed, what I have found in life and in my career, both in sales and in business, is that those people that I've met, those connections that I've made, that's where most of my great opportunities in life have come through is through those connections. Yeah. I tell people just cut yourself with some slack, focus on making friends and solving problems. It's that simple. Well said. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. www.connectforlife.com or you can go on Amazon and type connect for life, John Humphrey and get to the book. Wonderful. John, great conversation. Thanks for indulging all my questions. Uh, I enjoyed it. Hey, Henry, great being with you. Love your show. Take care. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was John Humphrey. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.